Good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Let us stand together. Not in the vegetables. And then we'll get into the, our Christmas service. Uh, what we did last year and what we're going to be doing again this year is, is singing some very traditional Christmas hymns uh, and uh, giving some theological reflection on those hymns. Uh, we get so used to singing some of these that we fail to notice the real meaning. And so we want to draw some of that meaning out. But anyways, my name is Greg Boyd, and it's really good to have you all here at uh, one of our, our Christmas services. Uh, God has been blessing us in a, in a powerful way uh, in the first two services, and so we're glad to have you here. If you're visiting for the first time, I want to give a special welcome to you. And if you'd like to find out more uh, about this church and what we're called to do and what we believe, stop by at the visitor's table in the gathering area. That's the big table. The, the back is up against the, the wall of the auditorium, and we have a packet of information we'd like to, to share with you. Also, if you have any uh, sort of noisemaker, any phone or beeper or buzzer or anything like that, uh, please turn it off at the present time. And if your kids uh, who are with you start acting up too much, we've got soundproof happy rooms in the back that we encourage you to take the kids to. A couple of announcements and then we'll get into this. Tonight we are having the first annual Woodland Hills Midnight Christmas Mass. And the youth are going to be hosting this uh, Mass. Uh, I'm actually going to, I haven't been to a Midnight Mass for uh, probably 35, 40 years. I used to go all the time when I was a little tot, so I'm going to go to this and uh, see what it's like. But you're invited to come along, so that will be in the youth center. I'm told unless it gets like too packed out, then we might be able to move it in here. We'll see what, that, what happens with that. Also, there's a family at Woodland Hills Church that has had a fire and uh, has lost almost everything. So the body of Woodland Hills wants to come around them and support them in every possible way. So if you're open to doing that, uh, read the bulletin and just ask God how you should be used in that uh, endeavor. Also, the Dia de Reyes toy drive is next week. Um, this is a holiday celebrated in Latino culture. Uh, in some quarters, it's celebrated more than Christmas. And they traditionally give out toys to their, their young ones, just like 
uh, Europeans do uh, on, on Christmas morning. Uh, many Latino families are, uh, live in poverty. And so we want to partner with uh, Puente de Vida Church and help them have enough toys to uh, bless their kids and also reach out to the neighbors. So if you would consider doing this, bring uh, unwrapped, uh, new unwrapped toys next weekend that we can donate to, to this endeavor. Otherwise, I just encourage you to read the bulletin if this is your church and pray over the bulletin and be a part of all that is going on. Now let me open with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that your spirit uh, be with us here in this next hour. And make this an hour, Lord, that really brings glory to you, that uh, it penetrates our hearts and drives into our spirit the meaning of what this is all about. Uh, for some maybe who are locked into sort of a, just a traditional, uh, rather rote understanding of Christmas, wake them up, wake us up, and uh, use these traditional songs, Lord, to just bring new meaning to what this is all about. Envelop us in the power and the love of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? What we're, uh, the, the first song we're going to sing is just join with the angels in proclaiming Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And as we do that, uh, we have here an ever-diminishing but still hopefully sufficient uh, uh, three boxes of, of, of activity packets for little kids. So while we're singing this song, kids uh, 12 and under, come on forward, and I will play Santa Claus, and I'd like a few other adults to help me, because I get this morning... We must have had a thousand kids this morning. I was in deluge. That's why I'm wondering if we have enough here. First come, first serve. So kids, you better run. So uh, as we sing this, just bring your kids forward here, and we'll hand out some goodies here. All right.
excited. The first Christmas carol we're going to reflect on a little bit here is the only Christmas carol that I know of that is centered on a question. And the question is, what child is this? And the flavor of the question is really more this. What child is this? Because it's all about how Christ doesn't fit our normal expectations of what we might have thought a savior of the world would have looked like. Uh, the song was written in the 15th century and then was put, into, put to a Renaissance tune uh, called Green Sleeves in the 19th century, and that's why it has a distinctly Renaissance sort of uh, feel to it. And the question is asking, what child is this? What kind of savior is this? In the second stanza, it says, Why lies he in such mean estate? Mean being an old English word for poverty or uh, humility. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? That's not where you'd expect to find the Savior of the world. Later on in that same stanza, it says, Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. What kind of child is this? who's born in such a lowly circumstance, born as an outcast, born in a barn, and then dies on a cross. What kind of child is this? You might have thought that when God decided to become a human being, which is itself shocking enough, but if God was going to become a human being, you would have thought it would have been more obvious. Put it on display. Prove to everybody who you are. But instead, we're left 2,000 years later wondering, what child is this? He raises more questions than he answers. You might have thought that when God comes into the world to save the world, he would have announced it to all of the nobles, all the kings, the princes, the Caesars of the world. But instead, when God comes into the world, he just mentions it to a couple of shepherds in the field and some confused astrologers over in Persia. What kind of child is this? What kind of savior is this? What kind of odd God is this? You might have thought that when God came into the world, he put his magnificent creator power on display. But instead, he's born as a perfectly vulnerable little child. What sort of child is this? You might have thought that when God came into the world, if it was going to dare to become a human being, he would have been born to royalty, would have lived a life of a king, but this Savior is born in poverty, as an outcast, with no riches at all except for what the wise men bring him. What kind of child is this? You would have thought that the Savior of the world, when he comes into the world, would have been born in the best of circumstances, uh, in, in a nice sanitized condition where it's clean, where it's safe, where it's warm. Instead, he's born in a cold, unventilated, animal-filled, manure-smelling cave, what sort of child is this? What kind of God is this? You would have thought that when he comes into the world, he would have uh, brought a lot of acclaim to himself, had a great reputation. He would have been famous. Instead, he's born to an unwed Jewish peasant girl. And the only distinctive thing he's known for is that he didn't know who his earthly father was, or at least that was the reputation. Living with a stigma of sin on him all his life. The all-holy God becoming a human being, and being primarily known for his savory reputation and, and the people he hangs out with. What kind of child is this? What kind of savior is this? What I learned as I was 
studying about this song, in fact, this is true of uh, several other Christmas carols that we sing, is that some of the lyrics have been modified in more recent versions. For example, they take the word, uh, the, the phrase that he, that he was pierced by nails and spear, and in a lot of modern versions, they take that out. And the reasoning is that it just doesn't seem to fit the party atmosphere of Christmas. It's kind of a, uh, you know, it's not really a joyful thing to think about. We do that with a number of our hymns, and that's why if the versions we're singing tonight are not that familiar to you, it's because we're singing the original versions. But see, it's just like our culture these days, where we, we try to nicety up the, the, the Christmas story. We try to change it into uh, a, a cute and a quaint and a sweet story. Something that is nice to think about, but only maybe once a year. But see, in the original context, this story would have been heard as, and was supposed to be heard as, and still needs to be heard as, a shocking story, an outrageous story. The Almighty God became a little baby to a peasant Jewish girl named Mary, born in a crowded stable, laid down in a feeding trough, a manger. That's shocking. And see, the beauty and the power is found in its shockingness, if you will. When we sanitize Christmas, we maybe have a nice, cute, happy holiday, but we don't have a joyful holiday. We don't have a holiday where the content of it is, is, is such that it could give you joy and hope in the midst of the most despairing circumstances. Because you see, it's in the shocking nature of the Christmas story, in, in, in that depth of dimension of the Christmas story that makes us scratch our head and go, what child is this? It's in that shocking nature that the beauty and the power of the gospel message is found. What child is this? I'll tell you what child this is. He's the savior of the world. And born in these circumstances, he shows that he's the God who's willing to mix it up with us in all of our fallenness and all of our ugliness and the, and the manure and the muck and the grime of our life. God dives right into that. He's not a nice, sweet, prissy, quaint kind of a God. He's a God who's serious about loving sinners like you and me. A God who rolls up his sleeves and says, let's dive in on this. A God who dives into the worst circumstances of our life. What kind of child is this? He's a God who reveals, he's, he's, he's a child who reveals a God who will, uh, who will go to any extreme and has gone to every extreme to show his love for sinners like you and me and to save sinners like you and me. So let's proclaim it. What child is this?
come forward. We're going to take our offering right now. Pray with me. Father, this evening we want to honor you with our song and with our offering. As the three wise men brought myrrh, gold, and and incense to you, Lord. That, Lord, we want to bring our offering unto you right now. In song, in gift, and most of all, in deed. So, Father, we ask that you just use this, Lord God, to shine the light into the darkness of people's lives, to transform their hearts, that joy truly would abound in each and every heart under all and every circumstance. Father, to that end we give that those in darkness would experience the joy, the peace, the happiness that this season brings through these gifts that we offer unto you right now. Bless them and use them for your kingdom's sake, I pray in Jesus' name.
Christmas hymn that we're going to reflect a little bit on is, is my favorite. I believe it is uh, the most unusual uh, Christmas carol we sing. I think it's the most beautiful Christmas carol we sing. I think it's the most biblical Christmas carol we sing. I think it's the most uh, theologically insightful Christmas carol we sing. I like it. It's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And unlike any other Christmas song we sing, it profoundly connects Christ's first coming, which we celebrate, to his second coming, which we long for. It's unusual because the uh, lyrics of this uh, hymn were penned around the 12th century, but it was put to music in the 15th century, and the music it was put to was a funeral procession. Uh, The funeral procession was uh, a song that was created by some Franciscan nuns. It was the most popular uh, funeral procession song of that day, and it was entitled Libra Me, which means free me, free me as a funeral procession. And that's why this song is so unusual, because on the one hand, it's got a beautiful sort of melancholic feel to it. There's a sadness to it, and yet its refrain is rejoice, rejoice, O Israel. And see, it profoundly brings together this reality. That we who celebrate the the birth of Christ and the life and the death of Christ, we don't bury our heads in the sand and pretend like the world is there for a wonderful place. The world continues to be a sad place to a large degree, a war zone, spiritual war zone, a place of suffering. And Christ, in principle, ended all of that when he came and was a little baby and died on the cross and rose from the dead. But the work of bringing that reality into this world is an ongoing thing in our lives. And there's a part of us that longs for rejoicing that we know that it's coming, but we also long for him to return as he promised and and bring to reality and actuality all that he accomplished in principle when he came the first time. It's a profound song in capturing that. Every stanza of this profound hymn is comes right out of the Bible. And I want to just kind of pick this apart a little bit for us to think about. 
The first stanza says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely dark exile here until the Son of God appear. Now the word Emmanuel is the Hebrew for God with us. Jesus is God with us. Uh, he's fully human, but he's fully God. He's not simply a wise teacher, as a lot of people think, nor is he an inspired prophet, nor is he just some exalted archangel. He is the creator of the universe, robed in flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. That phrase comes from Isaiah chapter 7, which was a prophecy about Jesus written about 800 years before Jesus came. And it says this, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, that's referring to Mary, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Emmanuel, when he comes, will, ra will ransom captive Israel. Now, ransom is a word that's used when you buy a slave out of slavery. You ransom that slave. And this song is singing that the, the Son of God came to buy Israel out of slavery. But it's also portraying all who trust in Christ as the new Israel, as the New Testament says. God has expanded the definition of Israel to encompass all those who, who trust in him. So this song is proclaiming that when Jesus first came, he in principle delivered us, bought us, paid the price that was necessary to get us out of slavery. And he continues to do that in each one of our hearts. All who yield to him, we are continually set free. And yet, we can be honest with the truth that the world is to a large degree, and we all, to some degree, are yet in bondage. And so this profound song is really a prayer. We should sing it as a prayer, because we're saying, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And we are Israel. We celebrate what he's done, we celebrate what he's doing, but we also, with joy and with a sense of longing, pray and sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. stands it says O come O rod of Jesse's stem from every foe deliver them that trust your mighty power to save bring them in victory through the grave this concept of the rod of Jesse comes out of Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 another prophecy about the Messiah 800 years before the Messiah came and Isaiah 11 says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Now Jesse was the father of David. David was the stem of Jesse. And Jesus is the rod that comes from the stem of Jesse. Because Jesus was a descendant of David. This is one of the many prophecies that tell us that the Messiah had to come in the lineage of King David. 
And the New Testament tells us that he'll be a king like David. As David defeated earthly foes, he was known for being a mighty warrior on the earth against earthly foes. Jesus comes, this stanza tells us, to defeat every foe, to deliver us who trust in him from every foe that might be against us and might want to uh, oppress us. Jesus is the rod of God that defeats the foe of despair in our life, the foe of depression, the foe of hopelessness, the foe of poverty. Jesus is the Messiah, the, the rod of God that defeats the foes of, of the demonic powers, the principalities and powers, and Satan himself, praise God, who tries to keep us oppressed, who tries to keep us in darkness, who tries to keep us lonely and, and isolated and confused. Jesus is the rod who, who reconciles us to God and gets everything that could possibly separate us from God out of the way. He defeats the foes in the spiritual realm. We thank God that he, in principle, accomplished all of that the first time he came. And we rejoice over the fact that he's continually doing that in our lives. As, as we yield to him, he, he defeats the foes in our life. And yet, we have to honestly acknowledge that there's still a lot of foes around that keep humanity and that keep us, to some degree, in bondage. And so, we continue to pray and we continue to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. stanza says, O come, O key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. This phrase, the key of David, comes from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, which is another prophecy about Jesus. When it says, the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. Now the house of David represents all of God's authority here on earth. In the Old Testament, that's where the authority of God was located. So the key of David, as it's referred to in Isaiah 22, refers to the power to unlock the power and authority of God here on earth. And what this beautiful stanza is proclaiming is that Jesus is that key. Jesus is the key, more specifically, the one who has the power to unleash God's saving authority in this world. He has the authority to reconcile us to God, the authority to bring about forgiveness of our, our sins, the authority to lead us home. Every human being on this planet, inside of their, their heart, deep in the recesses of their spirit, there's a homing device that's telling them that they want to go home. They need to go home. And they're aware on some level that this world as it presently is, isn't home. We long for a, a, a time, we even ache for a time, a place, a space where the longings of the heart will be satisfied, where, where the isolation, the alienation that we all to some degree feel will be done away with. 
a time where the dreams of our hearts will come true, there's a homing device that's leading us home, and we know that this is not it. But what the Bible tells us and what this stanza proclaims is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Him. Jesus is the key that unlocks the door of God's salvation into our life. And the way that we take that key into our life is simply by surrendering to Him. It's that simple. You just yield your life to Him. You pledge to live your life not for yourself anymore, but you live it for Him. And I encourage everybody who's not surrendered to surrender even while we're singing this song. Because in fact, Jesus is the key that reconciles us to the Father. And we rejoice over the fact that He has liberated us uh, by being born in the past. And we rejoice in the fact that He's ongoingly uh, liberating us and freeing us and reconciling us to God in the present. But we also can say out loud that this world as a whole is not yet reconciled. There's still millions, billions of people that are alienated from God. And so we pray and we continue to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. says, O come our day spring from on high, and cheer us by your drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. The concept of day spring comes from the Greek anatello, and it literally refers to the morning sun as it's just beginning to rise. It's springing forth day. And it comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 78, where Zechariah says, The day spring from on high has visited us. And what this stanza is saying and what this biblical passage is proclaiming is that while for centuries upon centuries, starting with the time of the original rebellion of humanity from God, the world was under dark, gloomy clouds of despair, clouds of division, clouds of warfare, clouds that alienated us from God. Well, for centuries that was true. When Jesus was born, the sun began to shine. When Jesus was born, it was the morning of a new era. When Jesus was born, finally the clouds began to be dispersed. When Jesus was born, the world finally began to see the light of God. And Jesus was born for the purpose of chasing those clouds away of dispersing of everything that separates humanity from God. It separates humanity and keeps us blind and, and, and keeps us under this dark shadow of cloud of death and, and despair. And so we rejoice that Jesus has, in fact, in principle, already done that by being born the first time. And we rejoice over the fact that he continues to do it in our life as we yield to him. The clouds of despair and hopelessness and gloom and despondency and violence are gradually dispersed in our life as the sun, the light of God, begins to shine through. And yet we realistically have to acknowledge that this is still, to a large degree, a very gloomy world. 
Humanity lives, and we ourselves, to some degree, continue to live in darkness. And so we continue to pray and continue to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, our day spring from on high, and cheer us by your drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows stanza of this profound song says this, O come desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. O bid our sad divisions cease, and be yourself our King of peace. The passage comes from, the stanza comes from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, which referring to Jesus says that he himself in his own body, he is our peace, who has made the two, referring to the division of Jews and Gentiles in the ancient world, which was simply paradigmatic for the divisions uh, between all human beings. He has made the two one, praise God, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile and between all other people groups. One of the darkest clouds that has hung over humanity throughout our history is the cloud of division. Starting with the great rebellion eons ago when we first set ourselves apart from God, which is what the Adam and Eve narrative is all about. Starting with that, we've had a cloud over us that has caused us to, rather than love one another, to be suspicious of one another, jealous of one another, hostile to one another. You see it right with Cain and Abel. And starting with Cain and Abel and going on throughout history, there's bloodshed, there's war, there's mayhem. The history of the human race is a sad, macabre story of a wasted, wasted lives, a river of blood. The darkest, the worst clouds that hover over us, the greatest sign that we're still a fallen people is that we're so inclined towards wars and divisions. Uh, national divisions, ethnic divisions, racism, violent nationalism. And I wonder how many Christmases throughout history have been celebrated where there wasn't some war going on someplace. It's a perpetual history of violence. But Jesus came as the center part of his mission to get rid of that cloud. He came so that the light of God would someday shine as the noonday sun and there'd be no more division. There'd be no more war and hostility. He came so that in himself, in his own person, he would unite the hearts of all human beings and once again bring together this beautiful, gorgeous, stunning mosaic of this diverse humanity. He came to teach us that, that the, the differences between us, that we so often make problems, are really just a refraction of God's glorious artistic work, praise God. He came to put an end to, to the walls of hostility, to tear down all those walls, to chase those clouds away, and unite in himself this one new humanity. And in principle, he did this with his first coming. And he continues to do it 
in the church. That's why a primary job of the church is to manifest the beauty of reconciliation and diversity and not wait for this to happen in heaven. We celebrate what Jesus has done. We celebrate what he continues to do. And yet we continue to mourn over a world that still is so prone towards violence and division. And we don't need to be unrealistic about that. You can't read the paper and not cry over Iraq. And now it's beginning to happen in Somalia. You can't cry over the, the slavery that has gone on throughout history, even in America's recent past. But we have hope and with joy and yet with longing. We continue to pray and continue to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. to be and came to make it be. The last two uh, hymns we're going to sing, carols we're going to sing, are about proclaiming this. The first is, is Angels We Have Heard on High. And uh, it comes out of Luke chapter 2, where the angels surround the shepherds, and it says this, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And all I want to say about this particular uh, chorus is, is that when we sing it, be aware that we're joining with the angels. We never sing alone. The angels with unceasing praise in the heavenlies are giving glory to God, and we're joining them as we sing this uh, carol. I also want to say a word about what in excelsis Deo is. Some of us have sung that for 40 years and still don't know what that means. Uh, in excelsis is the Latin for, it's the superlative of excel. Uh, it means most excellent. We get the word excellent or excel from this Latin word. And so it means the highest or the most excellent. And the word Deo just means God. And so we're saying glory to God in the highest or glory to the most excellent God, the superlatively great God. That's what we're singing uh, when we say that phrase. And we're joining the angels when we do it. And then we're going to close with another wonderful Christmas carol entitled Go Tell It on the Mountain." And this is a, a black spiritual that came out of the pre-abolition period in the early 1800s. Uh, uh, it was relatively unknown uh, to European white culture until 1879, when Fisk University sent out the Fisk University Jubilee Singers to tour America. 
to raise money for Fisk University. And Fisk University was the first university established for the sole purpose of educated, recently uh, freed slaves. And so, and their theme song was Go Tell It on the Mountain. And when you put it in that historical context, it's got a, a beautiful double meaning to it, doesn't it? Because on the one hand, they're proclaiming, as former slaves, they're proclaiming that we are free. And, and, and they're, they're uh, um, announcing it from the mountaintops. And this is where Martin Luther King got his famous uh, phrase, uh, let it ring from the mountaintop, proclaim it from the mountaintop. But they're also proclaiming the one who sets all human beings free, the one who is the source of all of our freedom. And they're saying that we should live in such a way that our lives shout from the mountaintop, which is simply the most visible place, the place where you can be most heard. Shout the truth that Jesus Christ is born. Shout the truth that the Savior's come to set us free. Shout the truth that he's ended slavery to one another. He set us free from being owned from any other human being. He's the Savior who can set us free from all fear, uh, set us free from all sin, set us free from all religion, set us free from all of our tendencies to judge one another, set us free from all sorts of addictions, and set us free from despair, and ultimately set us free from the principalities and powers, and even Satan himself. Set us free to live the joy-filled, peace-centered life that God always wanted us to live, that abundant life that God wants us to live. Jesus Christ is born, and that means there's freedom. And our call is to live it in such a way that our lives shout it with a megaphone, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So can we stand and sing these last two songs and proclaim it from the mountaintops? Angels, we have heard on high.
everybody, let's sing. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Come on, sing it again. Go tell it. prayer to walk out of here and let our lives and everything we think and everything we say and in everything we do to proclaim the truth that Jesus Christ is real that he sets people free free to live in the outrageous love and uh, anointing and spirit that, uh, that God has always wanted us to live in pray with me here Lord as we uh, we just thank you for this time we've had to be together and uh, father for for being present here and Lord as we leave this place our prayer is that in fact the reality of Jesus Christ in all of his beauty and in all of his love and power would just shine through our lives, that our lives would be a shouting from the mountaintop that Jesus Christ is born, that Jesus Christ sets people free. God, as we go to our families, our places, wherever it may be, Lord God, just shine through us. We say a special prayer for those who maybe have no place to go. 
uh, Lord God, uh, just surround them, be with them, uh, uh, show them a special intimacy in your relationship with them. And Lord God, just be glorified in all that we do this holiday season. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you would like to receive any kind of prayer, the altar is open. Feel free to come forward. Otherwise, go forth. Let your light shine. In Jesus' name.